Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And this week, we're talking with John Murchison. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Black Point Cyber. Now, John is also an NSA computer operations expert, and he has plenty of experience with the bad guys and how to defend against them. Really interesting conversation we had today. We got to know, of course, a little bit more about his company. Uh, we got to know a little bit about his perspective on the talent uh, level that's available in cybersecurity, how he recruits uh, the best team possible, and how he thinks we can get more people into cybersecurity. Really interesting approach uh, that he has to all of that. We also talk a little bit about the situation going on, the war in Ukraine, and how that altered the types of attacks they've seen and the level of attacks they've seen coming out of Eastern Europe, and how that's changed and maybe become even a little more difficult to deal with at this point. Really interesting conversation we had with John Murchison, the CEO and founder of Black Point Cyber. I hope you enjoy. Well, let's start here. Let's make sure our audience gets to know you and a little bit more about Black Point Cyber. So tell us about yourself and about your company. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been I've been in the kind of, I'll say IT networking and really cyber security space really since probably early 2000s. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, Originally from Buffalo, moved down to, to go to school at University of Maryland, play sports there. Uh, and then, of course, I had to figure out what I was going to do for a living. And, you know, long story short, I was a business major, but kind of became self-taught. My brother kind of introduced me to the Cisco certification world. And that's how I got started in IT. And, you know, that quickly, you know, moved into, uh, I ended up working for the National Security Agency for 12 years. Um, so, I jokingly say, but it was true. We were kind of the bad guys for the right team on the on the cyber front. Um, and fast forward to today, I spent about 11, 12 years uh, in the community, uh, kind of running operations. Um, and then uh, and then really it was, I'd kind of been there, done that. And I also got injured in a silly skiing accident. And so it all came together at a time when I couldn't really work for a while. And I ended up selling my first business because uh, I was a govy, and then was brought back in. And I started my first company. Then uh, ended up selling that, and then really pivoted a hundred percent into doing all defense and going out to build what I would want to use. Um, you know, having been on both sides of the coin to catch and stop hackers, and that led to you know Black Point Cyber today, and we're a twenty four seven shop based out of Maryland, and essentially. You know, we have a suite of products, but really at the end of the day, folks pay us to deploy our software. We monitor. If we see a bad guy, we take them out. It's yeah. it's that. So, you know, in the virtual context. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good clarification. Yeah, the make. other way would be fun, but, you know, I don't think yeah. it's allowed. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough business model. Yeah. Um, so I want to back up on one thing, because in a sure. former life, I was a uh, television sportscaster. And so you said you played college sports. Tell me a little bit more I about did. that, where you M played and what you Maybe played. not at the level you were at. No, I played tennis for University of Maryland oh, back excellent. when we were in like the ACC. Yeah, I back when it made it. sense where which conference you were in, and it wasn't just some kind of weird 
alignment yeah. of schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, at the, at the time, you know, growing up in Buffalo, which isn't exactly a hub of, you know, tennis, you play indoors most of the time, but, uh, um, yeah, I got lucky enough to have some choices of schools and, uh, I had a brother, older brother and sister. I'm the youngest of four that, that lived down the kind of greater DC, Northern Virginia area. And I really liked the school and, uh, I'm glad I made the choice. Well, I wouldn't sell that short. You're playing division one tennis in eight in the ACC. That's, that's a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself, not to mention the other stuff that you just uh, listed for us going on right. to start a couple of companies and, uh, and your current one black point cyber. So as the CEO of a company that utilizes a combination of technology and people, I imagine, right. how do you, and maybe this ties in a little bit to your athletics, but how do you create a winning mindset and deal with the continued growth of your company when the human side of your business relies on like what I think you could describe as a niche skill set or you know, at least a very specific skill set? You know, it does, it does and it doesn't, right? I think, you know, the job of great technology is to lower the bar to make people be able to punch above their weight. So obviously we have some kind of elite level experts, but I think, you know, kind of to the first part of your question, I actually have a talk. I every time we bring on employees. I on I do a whole overview of the history of the company, where we're going, and as and the I, CEO, you do the onboarding. That's pretty cool. I always do. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how how big we are, and frankly, we might have four people at the same time or five or whatever. It's no, it's it's completely worth the time, in my opinion. But I give them the talk. I said, listen, when you start at this company, we have investors. We want to keep our triple digit growth every single year. We run twenty four seven. And we have to keep this insanely good track record at stopping hackers and preventing our customers from being mass ransom. That's really hard. It is really hard. And so I followed up with, I run this company like a pro sports team. You need to hold yourself and we hold ourselves to the same standard you'd hold your favorite football or baseball team to. Um, because at the end of the day, to me, we have a moral obligation, especially with our background. When you think about a lot of the customers we protect, you know, we do some very large enterprise, but the, our bread and butter is selling to manage IT service providers, and they resell on to their end customers. This is Main Street, America, Canada, you know, across the world. A lot of these companies can't actually withstand a mass ransom event. Uh, and so to me, if if you're not on your game, you're being lazy, you know, you're not continually pushing and get, I have another term I love, get comfortable being a little bit uncomfortable because it's the only way you get a lead at anything. And uh, I think I try to build that mindset in, and I'm very careful to hire an executive team that believes in that kind of mindset. It's just because the consequences are really high for the end customer. How would you like to sleep at night knowing we messed up and your livelihood is now at risk, right? Yeah. So I think that's how I do it. So I build a little, you know, kind of, kind of call to action there up front. Yeah. I think my follow-up question, if I were in one of those onboarding discussions yeah. with you, would be which professional sports? Because some have guaranteed contracts, and some don't. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's probably that's, right. that's not, probably not baseball. <laughs> yeah, if it's a football thing, I get it. Like, okay, yeah. we, I need to perform, otherwise I get cut, and there's and I don't yeah. continue to get paid. There's not, a, not grand. a big it, difference between those two. You can't be that hardcore. You know, it, it's hardcore. However. Um, it's really a tone and a mindset and a culture we like to to build in. And so, yeah, a little bit more like football, right? Yeah. We're, we have a really tough process to get a job at this company on purpose. Um, and once you make it in, you know, it's, you've kind of already gotten through the first rite of passage. Now it's really, 
we all work together to make sure there's natural paths for growth in the, in the career. We really understand where our employees want to go uh, for their career. And then, but it's also still consider the mission we have. Uh, we yeah. take it deadly seriously. So it's something we really have to stay on top of. I imagine that forces you as a, as a company, as a leader of a company to, uh, you know, not just set a high standard for your employees, but that you're setting a high standard for your employees in a way to drive a high standard for the company. And I, right. what I find really interesting about it is um, it, it puts you in a position it, it seemingly where you can uh, demand a lot from the talent you bring in, even though you're dealing with talent that's very uh, short in supply. And this right. might be sort of like going back to your sports analogy, right? Like how many NFL level, NFL caliber players are there? Right. Not so many, and you need them in order to be competitive, but right. you also have to make sure that the way you get them competitive is by um, demanding that they that they meet right. a certain high standard. Well, and also I think it's part like a mindset that you hire, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's one thing that can drive high performers out of a business faster than anything is tolerating low performers. Absolutely. Um, and, and for us, it's not that we have this just crazy maniacal hardcore performance. We want everyone, you know, to... You know, I was a business major, although I can't say I put a lot of it to to use. But the one thing you know I do remember from from that school was, you know, kind of hire well and empower your frontline employees to make meaningful decisions and and own it. Right? We want people to come in. We really look for a culture where they're managing up. I think that's another really important thing. I I had some good advice, which is you know when you're in a fast growing company, you need to always hire someone with skills a couple steps ahead of where you are because what was good eight months ago is like woefully insufficient now um and so i think it's really just behind the right leadership team and if the if you're empowered and the mission is you know uh exciting which i think ours is uh people will work work super hard because they love it um, and that's kind of how I, I feel about it too. It's kind of, if you look in the government, there's some amazing folks in the intelligence community and the DOD and military, and it's not like you're there for the big paycheck, you know what I yeah. mean? Um, yeah. And so I really think it's, it's, it's more of a culture and a mission and, and getting a, a like-minded group of individuals who like winning yeah. together. Just on this topic of the current cybersecurity talent shortage um, yeah. and, and maybe how you go about you know, working within that, or how do we ultimately yeah. change that? You know, I'm I'm almost 45 years old now, and I'd like to say, oh, now I can tell my kids, right. hey, look, here's an industry with a shortage of workers. That means you, if you can get good at it, you are uh, right. on the on the low supply, and that will make you on the high demand side, and that's really good for you financially. I don't know that I would have been smart enough to do that at 20. 22, 24 years old. And my evidence in that is I was, you know, I'm a white guy who went into television sports where right. I was a dime a dozen and got right. paid <laughs> as a dime a dozen kind right, of guy. Right, right. So I, I just wonder like, what's, what's your take on um, how do we, how do we combat the shortage maybe yeah. industry wide or, or maybe more specifically, just like, how do you deal with the a, a, a general talent shortage? Well, maybe I'll address uh, both points. Right. Yeah. Um, because uh, I did have this conversation with some pretty senior government officials. And, you know, we do have a huge skill shortage. In fact, I would argue we have more of a fundamentals shortage. Um, this might be controversial or not sound great, but what we have found, we rarely hire folks with cybersecurity degrees. And it's because, in my opinion, there, there's kind of a couple tracks in cybersecurity, right? There's 
I'm going to be the guy making tooling to catch and stop hackers, or I'm going to be the person that uses these various tools to catch and stop hackers. Same thing's true on the offensive side. The best guys at making the tooling software engineers, the best folks at using the tooling tend to be really folks with really hardcore networking, Windows domain administration, background fundamentals, and then get trained in thinking kind of creative and, and using tools. And I think the same is in our space. And so one of the biggest challenges we have that I see is we have a ton of IT folks out there. A lot don't realize how good they could be at security. So that's one thing. Um, and the second thing is folks that say, I want to go into cybersecurity. I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get a four-year degree. When they, a lot of times what we're noticing from these programs is they can talk, they can talk the talk, you know, from buzzwords and, you know, mentioning, you know, pen testing tools and things like that. But when you actually ask them to explain what's actually going on, they don't know. Um, and it's really because you have to start to, in my opinion, IT security to get into it and be really good at it, you also, you have to be great at IT first because so much of what you do as a hacker is clever IT system administration. Like case in point, there's a group out there named Black Hat. These guys are a ransomware group. They're incredibly competent uh, in my opinion. And they mostly use IT tools instead of malware to do their job, right? And so I think those fundamentals really help. You know, at a national level, I think we had this, we had, this is the analogy I have. Before the internet, businesses were reliant on plumbing, electricity, HVAC. And we can, we created an amazing public school trades program uh, where you could choose, you know, I want to go the trades path. I want to go and And you start as really like a journeyman and you move your way up to being a master and whatever it is. I would say IT security, in my opinion, and, and frankly, IT is more closely aligned with trades or like a doctor where you go through a residency and professionalize and you get hands-on training. And I think that is something we have to do as a country and make that a really viable path if you're going to actually fill the skills gap because we had to do it before, you know, with our kind of um, core utilities. And I think, you know, the internet and networking is now a core utility of our economy. And so we need to invest in it in the same way. Listen, CISOs, we know how hard it is to manage your security posture. With often dozens of different security technologies that vary in process and application, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be your strongest defense. Protect your enterprise with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery right down to the silicone. Learn more about the servers that transform your business at vlcm.com slash gen10. That's vlcm.com slash gen10. Over $12 billion have been lost to spear phishing and account takeover. Target attacks carry no malicious payload and are able to bypass email gateways. Barracuda Sentinel uses AI to outsmart the attackers and protect your business and data. With Barracuda Sentinel, you can block threats that are already in your inbox, not just the incoming ones. You can stay a step ahead of attackers with AI-based threat detection, and you can stop wasting time managing static security rules with this silent zero administration tool. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com 
slash B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A dash S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L. How has the ongoing war in Ukraine Mm -hmm. uh, altered the cybersecurity landscape when dealing with threat actor groups known to originate largely in Russia and other Eastern European countries? And interesting, um, you know, at the this kickoff of this uh, of this war, if you remember, everyone was going wild about all the pending cyber attacks from from Russia that we were going to receive. I remember at the time I was interviewed and I said, I didn't think we were going to see it because when you go to war with a country, you put a lot of your resources against the country you're going to war with, you yeah. know, uh, from a cyber side. And I think that's why we didn't see it. Also, I think, you know, with the weird part about cyber and networking is everyone lives in a glass house. And I would argue the West is more susceptible because we're a lot more just in time production logistics and, and, and that type of thing. That's all it uh, that enables that. And so that happened. The thing I didn't predict is that we actually saw ransomware go down. Um, Really? We saw, yeah, less of it when it was happening, like not, not to our customers, but when, when it was happening, the outcome seemed worse. Like some of the way ransomware was written just was beating every anti-ransom tool out there. You know, they're written things like Rust, or we just got another one written in Golang, uh, which are programming languages and they allow really fast encryption of devices. So I think, but this is just my gut feel. It's not like we have specific intelligence. What happened, there was a massive cybercrime syndicate called Conti, you know, Russian based. However, you know, a lot of these groups have folks all over. I think there was probably, and they pledged allegiance kind of to the Russian side and immediately all of their internal comms and data and techniques and, you know, you name it, were leaked because I think there was other members of the Conti group that were on the other side of the, of, you know, this, this conflict here. And it seemed like that group kind of broke up and and it really went down. I tell you what didn't go down is business email compromise and Microsoft 365 environments. We've continued to see that absolutely skyrocket. Uh, But what we saw was, you know, successful mass ransoming, the amount you saw in the news even dropped. It wasn't, you know, and the past two months, it's gone right back. But now there's all these new branded groups. And I don't know if it broke apart into a lot of new units and new new groups out there operating under different names, but we saw a market drop and we weren't the only ones that saw that. Yeah. Is that, I mean, I'm trying to figure out, it's a good thing when it suddenly drops. Yeah. If it came because there was sort of a breakup of a, a monopoly, so to speak, yeah. or a large a large syndicate, and and now suddenly they've had time to reorganize. Um, I I presume that it's it's good when it drops, but if they've reorganized and it takes everyone a while to figure out who the players are and where the pieces are on the chessboard, that that's actually a worse situation than sort of the devil you knew beforehand. Yeah, you know what's interesting is Marty like. Once you land in a network, what if you're good? If you're catching a hacker when because one of your automated tools said, "Hey, we saw your machine about to get ransomed or it was starting to get encrypted, and we stopped it," you missed the ten steps prior, and those ten steps prior pretty much are the same with just slight nuances, and they have been for the past twelve plus years. Whether it's nation state or criminal group or whatever, you still have to figure out where you are in network. You still have to test your creds. You're mostly leveraging privileged credentials and kind of live off the land techniques to move around. And so, I would say it hasn't really changed 
the response operations, um, you know, that, that, that we've done. Um, it's just the groups are different and some of their tooling is a little bit different. So you do have to have, I think a little bit. And, and what I've also noticed is the groups that we're dealing with now, like they're better. Like the other ones seem to be following a script. And if they went into one little roadblock, it was like they moved on. But now we're watching, we'll have successful responses multiple times and they keep coming back to keep trying. And that yeah. didn't used to happen. That was always more of a hallmark nation state play because, you know, a nation state's distinctly different that if they want to infiltrate your org, let's say for, for data, someone every single day wakes up and they have that target. It's, it doesn't change, right? You're going to keep going until you win right. uh, or, or you get some sort of progress. And I think that's the only thing I've noticed. I've just, I've been, you know, I hate to say it this way, but I've been kind of impressed with the level of skill these groups are bringing. Yeah, impressed with the level of skill they're bringing. Meaning, hey, they're just they're they're more tenacious. They're able to yeah, read, they're more tenacious. They're running more, more of a run play option instead yeah, of just it, here's the play, right? Yeah, they can call audibles in the middle of an operation, which is like really interesting. And yeah. I watched it firsthand at three in the morning with a particular threat actor group. I just happened to be up and uh, I saw our sock escalating, you know, to tier three, and I hopped on and I was and you know we went through this whole response and it was successful but i watched them change tactics and it was i was impressed at that like they had clearly a lot of time on the keys whoever this was yeah, yeah. but that's a concern then going forward right like yeah it's always it's always tough to be in the defensive position because you have to be right 100 percent of the time yeah. and the offense only has to be right the one time right right but now if they're getting better at it uh they're more like i said more tenacious or they're mm -hmm. calling audibles as they go that makes playing defense that much more difficult. So is it still the same fundamental approach yeah. or how do you evolve to match the evolution? So I, I would say still fundamentals with, with some more pointed kind of threat intelligence and um, just for most, more of the tooling that the adversary is using. Um, yeah. So that's where you kind of want to, the fundamentals don't change and that's true. And the really, you know, you're in sports, you know, that like yeah. the fundamental, I mean, you could have some shifts, that are more an evolution of technique over time, you know, like, um, I mean, you say out in the sport, I play tennis, like a lot of the traditional way has changed a little bit, but a lot of the fundamentals still really apply. I would say that's the same in our game. Um, I think what, what the, what I'm watching, it just requires, if you're doing defense, like you have to, the days of trying to grob, gobble up terabytes of logs and put it in a seam and try and catch and stop a hacker. Well, one, I don't think it ever worked very well, but two, it's just proving over and over to not work very well at this point. So I think when you need highly targeted info, you need to focus on the common techniques that you see in every breach. People get way overly focused on catching malware and, and malware you know, it's always going to be a cat or mouse game, or like in the case of the black cat group, they use free trials of IT tools to do their spreading and their command and control. So it beats all the automated tools that are more focused on malware. So you need in, in elite defense, you need for cyber, you need best in breed tools trying to catch malware. Okay. So that's one. That's actually only 14% of our responses when those tools are involved. Right. The other big chunk, which I argue is almost more important, is what we call tradecraft, others would call behavior. And it's really, you always in defense have to operate as much as you can with an information kind of asymmetry advantage. It's one of the reasons why we do live network mapping in our product. It gives us context. Oh, this person's VPN'd in. Okay, cool. So we're, we're learning a little bit more line rate when you're protecting thousands of customers. So I think um, 
it just forcing defenders to have to build um, a, a battle, a virtual battle space picture that is uh, real time. Uh, and I would say, you know, maybe a, this is probably a really crappy analogy, but if you look at our F-35 program, right, it's it's people are dogging on it. It's underpowered. It can't do this. It can't dogfight as well. It's like, but the power of it is it's low observability and it's complete internet interconnected like battlefield sensor kit. So the point is like, if it's getting into a dogfight, like it's bad, right? It yeah. should never be in that position. Um, and so I think, I think the analogy in cyber defense is similar. You really need that kind of bird's eye view overview of what's going on so that you can take action in a fast laterally spreading, you know, ransom event. Great example, by the way, on the F-35, because yeah. we're recording this uh, just north of Salt Lake City and just south of Hill Air Force Base. So we see the F-35s oh, all the time. We, That's pretty we're, cool. We're, we're one of the Air Force bases that switch from the F-16 to the F-35. So we see yeah. them all the time. And uh, I always say they're much quieter until they get turned around, until you until the back end is in front of you. And then they're really <laughs> Really much loud. louder than the F-16s. But yeah. uh, so anyway, interesting. You'd pick that one for our, you know, primarily Utah audience. Very familiar with with the F-35s. Yeah. So we talk about its its process and it's sort of back to the fundamentals. Yeah. I, I'm going to guess then that you're still a proponent of some of those fundamentals, like um, you know, companies performing regular uh, penetration tests and vulnerability mm -hmm. assessments. Yeah, making sure that you know your weakest link is still pretty well informed about not clicking on stupid emails, things like that. Right. Are you, is, do I have, would I be correct yeah. in assuming that? Um, and I, before kind of going to the specific things, what we like to, and we didn't really come up with this. We might've just enhanced it a little bit to be a little bit more relatable. You know, NIST has these kind of four or five core pillars and of, of cybersecurity. And I, I really believe them. I mean, we renamed them a little bit, but it goes as follows. You need some sort of technology to allow you to identify your assets, what operating system they're running and if they're running vulnerable services that's your kind of otherwise you don't know what you're protecting so that's layer one that's uh one rmm tools help with this uh vulnerability scanning helps with this and when you have to prioritize it's external vulnerability scanning is what you need to prioritize um in our experience the second nist calls it protect i renamed it to hardening the second core pillar of good security is reducing your attack surface, right? And you, you want to always make an adversary increase their dwell time uh, because the longer they're trying for success, the more observable they are. So if you think of this in traditional military, right? You want to slow down an advancing enemy. You're watching the Wagner group do this, attempt to do this in Ukraine by putting all these kind of concrete pyramids up. Um, and so so the hardening is really, the cheat sheet for me is follow CIS, Center for Internet Security, benchmarks and controls. They tell you literally what to configure. And I can assure you there's a lot of ex-NSA folks over there and they do fantastic work. And I would just follow what they say. So reduce your attack surface. Third, this is where we come in a lot is, uh, is, is detection. And you have to be able to detect malware and the behavior tradecraft and adversaries using, and it needs to be line rate. It needs to be live. And so that's the detection pillar. So that's things like antivirus services, like our managed detection response, the, the fourth pillar is response. And it's traditionally looked at as post-breach, like a cleanup event, like I got ransomed and I'm going to bring in a D for a company. To us, response is real time. This has to happen within 20 minutes uh, if you want a shot at preventing, you know, and all that, these four, we consider left of boom. 
right of boom would be kind of your recovery, cyber insurance, tabletop exercises. If that's if all of that went wrong, but the whole goal is if you're unlucky and you get to um, a, a need to do recovery, all these other fundamentals of lease are allowing you to recover, to stay alive and fight for another day, right? So um, I think that's kind of how we look at it. And then you have nuance on top of that. Like for example, pen testing, I would say, it's, it's good and bad, right? A lot of times pen testing, when you hire someone to come in, there's too many rules of engagement and they skip, I would argue, the hardest phases for a hacker, which is gaining initial access. So a lot of times you double click the pen testing tools for them or click the email and they're off to the races. So I would argue like, don't put many rules of engagement. If you're making and hosting a lot of applications, this is where everyone whiffs. You have to do application pen testing, which is really reverse engineering because that will reduce your susceptibility to a new what we'd call code execution technique or exploit, right? So the latest exchange exploit, we actually were on that two months prior. The problem is the forensics firm that came in screwed up the the image. It's the only reason we didn't announce the new zero day exchange exploit because we knew there were we knew there was one for sure. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of how we look at it. so you, a big lens, those five pillars, and then you can jump into some some nuance on the how. Yeah. Uh, really great insight. And I appreciate you taking some time with us today. Uh, John, would you tell us uh, for our audience if they want sure. to know more about uh, Blackpoint Cyber or where they can follow you? Sure. Uh, let us know where we can do that. Absolutely. So obviously, if you're interested, you want a demo or a free trial, blackpointcyber.com, and you can sign up. Two other areas if you want to you know, follow along, get to know us better. I have a podcast called The Unfair Fight as well. Um, you know, We cover malware reversing, but we also cover kind of national security, geopolitics. So uh, I just record one that was released with Admiral Winnefeld, our former vice chairman and and Top Gun F-14 pilot back in the day. Um, and then we also have uh, something called Black Point Command, which is all for our, our partners about pricing, packaging, and how to build a defensible and sell a defensible and profitable security stack as part of your IT offering. So that's probably the best ways to follow us. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go check the podcast out for sure and uh, have our audience go do the same awesome. as well. That's the unfair fight. Uh, go take That's the call. Go take a look at that. Uh, John Murchison, uh, CEO of Blackpoint Cyber, founder and CEO of Blackpoint Cyber. John, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Marty, thank you so much. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.